My name is Ishan Rola. And I'm Annie Knudsen. And welcome to Hidden in Plain Sight, the podcast where students from different areas of life, undergraduate, graduate, or medical school, share their stories with mental health. A quick warning to those listening, this podcast deals with heavy themes such as depression, anxiety, and suicide, and it is left unfiltered in regards to language and content. Additionally, this podcast is not meant to put down in any way the mental health resources brought on campus. However, we must acknowledge how they cannot serve every student. Every week, you will hear a new student tell their story. We hope these stories will shine a light on the often overlooked issue of mental health and provide a place of comfort for those currently suffering. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's story. Just blame it all on the five and You know I only hit nine times nine and got one Life to live And you could always lean on me I can't promise to be story i just wanted to like let you have free reign into what you want to talk about so yeah if anything let's start at the beginning like okay what like what do you like what did you deal with and when did it all start so uh overall i i've had uh in the past pretty severe uh depression i'm still going through depression and um you know i've been which I'll, i'll get to shortly but i i have been on the brink of committing suicide um to the point where you know, I had a day picked out where I thought I was going to do it. I didn't really have a plan, but um, it was, you know, I was in a pretty dark place. And also, more mildly, I have some anxiety that uh, I'm sure a lot of people could relate to. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, my anxiety manifests itself in, in, in different ways. But the the real aspect of my life that's been super difficult has been my depression and dealing with my depression. Um, th- those that's That's definitely the biggest thing. Mm-hmm. So, what, what when was the first instance that you felt like this depression anxiety? Was it mm-hmm. almost you say like you've had both? Did it like almost counter each other? I think both? I think they uh, worked hand in hand. I think a lot of my anxiety comes from a place of you know second guessing myself, um, imposter syndrome. I went to a my my high school, which I absolutely love. It was actually K through twelve school. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, it was a very very challenging place academically. Socially, I loved it. You know, I I would say in high school I wasn't really depressed um, at all, except for you know the normal teenage stuff, yeah. um, the normal teenage sadness and blues before I got a serious girlfriend and all that stuff, <laughs> all that stuff. Uh, losing the a hard, tennis, right, hard life. right, exactly. <laughs> losing a state tennis match, like stuff like that would make me sad. But, um, I think overall I was pretty happy, but you know, underneath that, I did always feel inadequate. Um, I didn't get an A in any of my core classes until my senior year of high school. Um, yeah. you know, and my high school, my class's average on the ACT was like a 30. One of my really good friends got a 30 on his ACT in sixth grade. Like, I don't Whoa. even I don't even know how that is. Coolest guy in the world, Dang. too. Yeah, yeah. You know, he would, he would break. And no one in, you know, in other, in other classes, people were much more overtly competitive. But, um, you know, I was friends with everyone in my class, but you felt it, right? You felt yeah. how well people were doing. And I always felt like I wasn't... Um, wasn't doing that I, I wasn't living up to where I could be um so I actually when I started noticing my depression it was actually my my third semester of college my sophomore year um so I'm fast forwarding a little bit yeah. but um I went to Denison University which is a small school east of Columbus 45 minutes east of Columbus in Granville Ohio my first semester I got there um I you know, I was really nervous to go to college. Like, it was something, honestly, I didn't really want to do. I didn't want to move away. I know a lot of people do. Being away, I had never truly been away from my parents for that long or away from home. I went through it. I went to a K through 12 school, so I knew all my friends for all my life. Um, So I was really nervous about making friends, getting involved socially, obviously nervous about school because I had never really done well. Um, But that first year, I actually did really well. So, like, I got to college, I got a 4 my first semester, and I was like, mm. holy crap, I can actually, you know, yeah. I can actually achieve. So my um, first semester there, I was in this intro to political science class, and uh, I was doing really, really well. Um, uh, you know, I was probably one of the top students in that class. And uh, 
that professor um, was a great guy. He yeah. he was like, you know, you're doing really well. Next um, next year, why don't you take or was it? I can't remember if it was the next semester or the next year. He was like, why don't you take a this high level political science class? So I was with juniors and seniors who are political science majors. Yeah. Um, and once I got into this class, I was uh, really intimidated. In that in that class, there was something about it where I sort of became a shell of myself. My first semester at Denison, I would say I missed two classes the entire semester. Yeah. Um, I you know, and both were because I was sick. Um, that second semester, I started skipping class a lot more. Um, that first first semester, I got a job on campus as a tour guide. Uh, I started dreading my my job every time I went to Columbus, or every time I came went up back to Toledo for a weekend, which is where my parents lived. Um, I, um, you know, I, I was dreading going back to Tennyson every break. I didn't want to go back to Tennyson. I was just sort of always waiting for the next time I got to go home. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was it about that class that made you feel like that? So I think the class was, I don't think it was the class in and of itself, but I think it sort of brought out that, um, that imposter syndrome in me. It, it took me back to a place where I wasn't adequate and where I didn't feel like I was doing well enough for where I should be. You know, I ended up getting, I think, like a C plus in that class um, mm. or B minus or something like, which is not a bad grade, obviously. Yeah. Um, but uh, it more had to do with me um, not feeling well. And, you know, I'm, I'm using the class. That was just one example or one aspect of my life that I think uh, led me down this path to depression. Um, the other one, and there's more important factors that now I will talk about. Yeah. Um, I was also in not the greatest relationship. It was a pretty toxic relationship. It was also long distance. Um, that my my first year when I was a when I was a freshman, um, she was still in high school. She and then the second year she went out um, east to go to college, and mm-hmm. um, that toxic relationship. Honestly, like it was on both ends. Like I, you know, I was. I think I also felt inadequate. In, in that relationship um, for, for a lot of different reasons that I'm not going to get into. Yeah. Um, and uh, that was part of it. Uh, also, Denison is a very, um, it's, it's a great place. It's a super liberal place, but it's also very East Coast preppy. Uh, the social scene is complete, basically completely run by Greek life there. Um, so I had uh, friends that I was, you know, and that's, you know, Greek life, I think Ohio State has opened my eyes to Greek life. I used to hate it. And yeah. like I used to think it was pointless and elitist and really didn't do anything positive. But coming to Ohio State, I've seen how good Greek life can be for some people. Yeah. At Denison, it was completely different. You know, I had friends who would disappear. That culture was really pervasive. I also yeah. didn't drink until I was about 20 and a half, which you've seen me drink. You know, it's yeah. wild to think about that. There was a, there was a point in time where this I was just... spent $90 on whiskey one night. <laughs> <laughs> right. We don't need to get into that. But yes, yes, I, I did spend $90 on scotch, which is whiskey, but scotch was... That's all I wanted to get out of you this yeah, interview. Yeah, there you go. Um, it's on the record now. Um, but uh, yeah, so... I didn't drink, and that was really all there was to do in Granville, and I just, like I said, I started not going to class, I started not participating, I started staying in bed and sleeping all day. Um, By the time sophomore year came around, um, I was going to my aunt's house in Dublin every weekend. I didn't realize I was actually depressed, didn't really even enter my mind until my fourth semester at Denison, so second semester, sophomore year, yeah. and, um, you know, my grades had fallen significantly to a point, you know, participation attendance was a big thing at Denison, because it was such a small school, about 2,400 students total, yeah. um, so that was really impacting my grades, I wasn't doing my, I wasn't really trying in my assignments, I wasn't eating as well, um, and then I, you know, I made the decision that Denison isn't the place for me. Still hadn't realized, this is probably January, I, I still hadn't realized that I was, um, I had depression, but um, I sort of realized I needed to leave. So I decided to transfer um, in March, uh, well, fe- late February, and um, Ohio State was one of the only transfer deadlines that was still open. Um, I am not proud to say this, but... Mm-hmm. Um, 
Uh, my first choice was Michigan, but the, the deadline was closed. Oh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I know, kidding. I know. Yeah. Um, but so, and then about a week later, after I had decided that I wanted to transfer to Ohio State, um, I remember calling my mom. I remember walking back from class one day and calling my mom and saying, I think I'm depressed. <laughs> I remember that very clearly. I, th- I remember it's saying very that. Very clear class. Yeah. And my mom was like, well, what do you mean? And I basically told her what was happening. And I told her, I want to leave. Like, now. I want to get out of here. Yeah. So what I did was I, this this is within a three-day span. Um, probably a Monday, I called my mom. I set up an appointment that, that the next day to get medically evaluated by um, the, the therapist on uh, at Denison. And she said, you know, you have all the hallmarks of depression. Um and the next day, my parents drove down. I met with the dean, and I withdrew from Denison. I was gone. Um, where I moved, yeah, I moved out, and um, I spent the next six months, uh, well, th- four or five months recovering, and then I eventually came to Ohio State. And it's interesting. I think the, the, the semester before, I actually had written a paper on uh, depression in one of my communication classes, huh. and I wrote it about Landon Donovan, who is a soccer player, and um, he is someone who has suffered from depression and has had to take a break from soccer and move back to the U.S. And I wrote about the stigma surrounding athletes and depression and how we don't treat it as a debilitating, debilitating disease that it is. You know, if someone tears their ACL, obviously we're not going to tell them to exactly. get back on the field. But we don't yeah. do that with depression. Um, and similarly to, obviously I'm not a professional athlete, but... Um, I am extremely privileged. Um, I am extremely, I'm an extremely privileged person. My, my parents are well off. I had a great education. Um, and I think with that came a lot of guilt once I realized that I was depressed. I was guilty that I could come from such a privileged place and still be depressed. And I think that only added to it. So it's almost like, you know, like I have so much going for me. There are people who are in worse situations. Exactly. Why am I depressed? Exactly. Um, and I think that's, you know, that's obviously not how depression works. Yeah. And, you know, I had um, many people, my, my parents were obviously very supportive that they, you know, were okay with me withdrawing. Um, you know, there were some other, you know, other people in my life who, um, you know, didn't deal with it as well. And um, probably added to it, um, saying like, you know, I don't understand how you could have depression. That's the worst thing to say to someone that who is. has depression. Um, and you know, it's not fair. Like that's not an indictment on the person or the people who say those things. It's, it just comes from a lack of understanding of, you know, what depression is and being young at that time. So I spent the next six months, um, you you left before you even knew that you got into OSU. Yes. So you just left. I left. Yeah. As you said, you spent the last. Yeah. So I did not know I I medically withdrew. So, um, I did not know that I was going to get into Ohio state. Although um, I felt like I was pretty well positioned to get in based yeah. on like how well I had done my first couple of semesters at Denison and also um, the transfer requirements for an Ohio State student are much lower than um, the regular acceptances as, as out of high school. Um, so I, you know, I was pretty confident um, that I would make it in, but honestly, that was the last thing on my mind. I was yeah. just like, I need to get out of the situation and I need to get better and heal. And uh, that's what I did. You know, I, I went to, out to L.A. for some time um, to spend time with my family out there and uh, for like three weeks. And I needed to do that. Um, that summer, I, I entered therapy. Uh, well, that spring, actually, I entered therapy. And I went, um, started off, you know, once a week and eventually became less and less. And, uh, you know, I started to do things I was passionate about in my time off. Um, I started my own podcast with my brother talking about soccer, which was awesome. Um, and I just focused on myself and, and getting better. So during that, I mean, so when you left, you had all this imposter syndrome that you weren't good enough, that you yeah. didn't deserve. So when you went to L.A., like, what did that experience help or teach you or give you insight to? And same with the therapy, like, what, what talks did you have with your therapist? So uh, one thing that really stands out with um, my first therapist, who was the one in Toledo, because I was back in Toledo, yeah. was I remember her saying to me, um, we were doing, like, it's not really role-playing, but we're doing an exercise. And she yeah. was like, pretend I'm your best friend and 
I'm saying all these things about myself. And she said to me, how would you feel if your best friend was saying those things about his or herself? And I would be like, well, that's ridiculous. They're wrong um, and all this stuff. And she was basically like, we tend to treat ourselves much worse than we would treat anyone else. We tend to view ourselves worse than other people would even think about viewing us. It's like in class when you're afraid of talking because you think you might, you know, sound say something, sound yeah. stupid. In reality, no one really cares. You know? <laughs> People are in their own world, probably hoping they don't sound stupid. Um, yeah. Like no one's going to remember in a week if you did say something uh, uneducated. So basically, the gist was, we were much harder than we are. On our, we were much harder on ourselves than we are on other people. When in reality, we should be more the most forgiving for ourselves. And for me, a problem I have is spiraling. It's getting out of control. And mm. you know, one bad thought leading to another, to another, to another. Um, something that uh, really helped me was sort of a thought record. And this is what my current therapist, the one who lives in Columbus, she gave me this. Um, which is basically a sheet of paper, which I should use way more often, but I don't. Um, <laughs> is uh, Basically, it goes throughout like your thought process to sort of curb that sort of spiraling out of control. You know, Is the thought I'm having rational? What is the worst case scenario? And even in the worst case scenario of this situation, is it really that bad? You yeah. know, and sort of looking at, the, looking at, you know, your thoughts in a more rational way, because depression is irrational. A lot of emotions are irrational. So trying to remove yourself from the situation and stopping yourself from spiraling is really important. And different people, um, the depression manifests itself in different ways. You know, pe some people spiral, some people just can't operate. They can't function or yeah. get out of bed. Um, so um, for me, that was really helpful. And, and, you know, my first therapist, I would say something that she helped me and that, that first time I had depression was getting over the whole privilege aspect of it and really coming to terms with, with my depression yeah. and saying, okay, I have it. What can I do to improve? It's not my fault. It's not anyone else's fault. It's just something that I have to improve on myself. And constantly having those conversations and digging deeper into the issues of um, you know, feeling like an imposter. Um, those things really helped me to progress before I came to Ohio State. And so what happened after that? So I was, I, I mean, I was doing great. I think for the majority of my time at Ohio State, I was doing great. So I spent three years here as a student. Um, I came in 2015. And um, the first time my depression really started to show up again, I would say was... Um, kind of minorly in, in, in the in fall of 2016, probably shortly after the election, I went into a minor form of depression. Um, but really the last fall, so the fall of 2017. Yeah, that was the time where it really got bad. And I sort of just ignored it. I think it's because I was living on my own. For me, something something that's really interesting that I've sort of learned about myself yeah. is that I need to be comfortable in my living situation. I found myself going back to, last year, going back to Toledo a lot, going back to Dublin a lot, um, where I could be with my family and not being in my apartment. But this year, I don't do that. Like I spend all my time when I'm at home at my apartment. So, so why weren't you comfortable last year? I don't know. I, I don't think it was anything honestly rational. I just didn't want to be in that space. It was There's something about that space I didn't like. So I, I don't know what it was, but um, I started to notice that, but I, I ignored it. And, you know, I started to not sleep. I started to be eating at like 3 a.m., not going to class anymore, um, sort of, you know, underachieving. Luckily, my, my, uh, my major is not the hardest of majors, so I was still able to... to get by and, and do decently well. But, you know, I stopped going to class. Um, one thing I did this time that I, I, I didn't do at Denison was sort of alert my professors that this is something that I was going through. And yeah. they were extremely understanding. Um, so, I mean, credit to them. Like, I've had conversations with all of them. They were like, you know, we have this attendance requirement, but if you need, if you don't think you can make it, like, I'll work with you to, yeah. you know, to get around it, which is really helpful. But what triggered this bout? You said it just Yeah, so, I, you know... I don't 
know. I, well, I kind of know. Um, so there were two reasons, uh, two main reasons. I think the biggest reason was an anxiety about my future and not knowing what I wanted to do in life. And, you know, I had this plan to go to law school, to become a sports agent. Um, and I was slowly starting to realize that that was not something I wanted to do. So I think the impending graduation um, was, and what, what came after was something that really impacted me. But um, the, I, the other thing is, you know, it's just something that happens, unfortunately. You know, if you know, when you have depression and you have a history of depression or you have chronic depression, like I probably do, it's going to be something that you have to deal with throughout your life. Um, and I just, I don't know what the one cause was, but a myriad of factors sort of, it was like a perfect storm. And I felt like an extremely broken person. And, you know... That, in about uh, late November, um, that drove me pretty much to the edge where I was like, you know, I, I just, I don't want to, to do it anymore. Like, I was really upset. And um, actually, so the day of the grilled cheese fundraiser, which we were both at, yeah. that was the day earlier in the day where I was going to kill myself. But I think at that point, I didn't even process that I was yeah. depressed again. I was just sort of, it happened so quickly where I was like, I just need to sort of get out of it. I, I just want it to end. I want this pain to end. I didn't go back to therapy yet. Actually, a really big reason for this, how, how the second bout of depression got so much worse was because it was me realizing that I had depression again, too. Um, I thought when I had beat it the first time, that was going to be it. You know, it was yeah. done and dusted. I had gotten over depression. Once it happened again, I didn't really come to terms with it. Um, and then I started to become, I started becoming scared. And it was like, what if I never, what if I never get out of this? What if I'm just always depressed? Oh, or what if it just always comes back? I was kind of like, if, if I have to deal with this for the rest of my life, what is even the point? That's, that's kind of where my thought process was. Gotcha. Um, and then, you know, other things would trigger, like, my sadness. Like, you know, stuff that, you know, was not necessarily going great in my love life. Um, some family issues that, uh, you know, I, I some, some environments that were not great for me personally. Um, it's a good spiral you were talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So a lot of things building on each other to, to take me to a point where... Um, I thought, why, why even do this any longer? And, you know, obviously that's a very dangerous place to be. I, when, I, when I talk about other people with depression, they always yeah. say, when they look back at it, it's irrational. But when you're in it, it seems so real. Yeah. Do you feel the same? Do you, when you For look sure. back at it, you're just like, oh, I don't understand why. Like, right. it's a big deal. But during that time, you can understand, like, it must have been huge at that one point. Yeah. And, you know, it's not even, not even just looking back at it before yeah. it. You know, I would I would see so I would think, oh, I would never be in that place. You know, something yeah. that I remember saying when I was in high school was, um, you know, suicide is a permanent solution to a temporary problem, and that's that was still true for me. Like, so to be in that situation where I was contemplating suicide was completely different than what I had been. And yeah. that's what depression can do to you. It can take a completely rational and logical person and it just throws that by the wayside. And you, it's, it's, so, it's hard to explain because it's so internal. It's not really, for me at least, it wasn't an internal dialogue that I was constantly happening. I was not telling myself, oh, you have to commit suicide, you have to end it. It was more of just a feeling that was constantly following me around that I wanted to end my life. Um, um, honestly, probably the only thing that stopped me from going through with it um, was knowing how it would impact those people around me. And that's what helped you that day when you yeah. were... Yeah. yeah. And, you know, something that... Uh, something else that sort of led to... Let me down this path of depression was a really jarring experience of what the real world was. So um, yeah. encountering... Uh, five or six like racial, racially oh, charged um, uh, instances in a very short period of time, not feeling like I belonged in this country, 
a kid I grew up with named Jonathan Kruger. He was shot and killed in um, at the University of Kentucky. Um, Sorry. One of my other friends, Wesley. Uh, well, he wasn't really my friend. I don't want to. You know, I don't want to. But he was. We were. You know, I knew him, and we had class together at Denison. Uh, we were in the same class. He uh, committed suicide. Um, and then uh, Reagan Tokes was someone I grew up with. Actually, oh. I used to see her twice a day. We played tennis together. I hadn't talked to her in like four years. Um, you know, we weren't really friends anymore, but that really impacted me, especially since it was here at Ohio State. So those, those deaths really, I, I, I just really opened my eyes at that time to me thinking the world was such, just like a, not a great place. And, um, the racial aspects of it, you know, I have tons of stories about those, but, uh, you mind giving one of them? sure. Um, so, you know, we're right here. So I, at, uh, this was actually, was this last year or two years ago? But um, uh, we were getting prepped for one of our universal health aid screenings, yeah. and I was in the elevator over at University Hospital, and um, the, the, the button was broken in the elevator, so I kept on pressing it. And, um, like, you couldn't see the light from the side, so when I finally looked straight at it, I was like, okay, the light's on, it's working. It was just for that one button. And this guy turns to me, and he was like, he was like, you can't see because this is America, or something to that effect, which doesn't make any sense. You know, I was at, in line at a Walmart. Someone told me to go back to my country. I remember I was in downtown Chicago at a Walgreens, and this guy was short. Uh, for He was trying to buy lemonade or something. He was clearly intoxicated, but he was trying to buy some drink. And I was like, hey, man, how much are you short? And he was like, $1. So I gave him the dollar. He paid and then he turns around and he starts berating me. He's like, oh, you're probably from ISIS. He's like yelling at the top of the lo- his lungs. He's, he's like, you're probably from ISIS, blah, blah, blah. You're a terrorist. And just the middle of this Walgreens. And Pretty rude thing to say to someone right, to give him a dollar. Right, exactly. I was like, dude, I just gave him a dollar. <laughs> Even, you know, out in Dublin, my friends or my cousins live out there. And we were playing football in the center of the street. And these two kids come by making monkey noises. So it's, you know, stuff, just... stuff like that, it's... Like, it doesn't even sound real, but, yeah. like, all those things happened to me, and it made me feel like I didn't belong. You know, there was a, I don't know if you heard about this, um, the, the, the Indian uh, people who were shot and killed in Kansas, and there was this white guy heard, who yeah. came in and saved more people, um, mm-hmm. and he was hospitalized. But those those two, one of those individuals who died was um, one of my aunt and uncle's very close family friends down in Kansas City. Um, And I had, I don't know them. I had no connection to them. But at that point, in those situations prior, I would get angry and I would probably escalate the situation. But then when when I was being racially targeted now, I felt so helpless. And what are you going to do? Right, because I don't don't know how, if I say something wrong, are you going to kill me? You know, Um, and unfortunately, like that's the reality that being said, like the, the, all those situations, being feeling helpless, it's it sort of, I just felt helpless about life, mm-hmm. um, and all those factors coming together along with whatever the chemical imbalance is in my brain to yeah. make me feel uh, depressed, uh, led me down that path to that that day at the grilled cheese fundraiser. So, all those factors mm-hmm. comes on in one day, and you're yeah. saying that one day you did have a plan, but you decided not to do it because of. You, you know, you thought of your loved ones. I was, I was in the garage. You're uh, in the garage. Yeah. Um, so I was in the garage, and I was, I was in my car, and I was thinking, you know, this is, I'm going to do it today. And I ended up not doing it, thankfully. Um, and, you know, even if you ask me what my thoughts were at that time, I don't even think I could tell you, like, exactly what I was thinking in those moments. I just sort of a blur. Like, I kind of remember it, and then I just remember driving home. Um just moving on. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that grilled cheese fundraiser was um, actually a really big turning point for me because um, that night, um, uh, one of the other people who was at the grilled cheese fundraiser, um, you know, we went uh, we went back to get, like, some more supplies for the grilled cheese fundraiser. Mm-hmm. And I sort of just, like, completely opened up to this person and it really changed you know i was just sort of inter like none of no one in my life knew that i was even close to that point none of my best friends not my parents none of my family no one knew even until later that i was on the brink 
of ending my life. And that night, I, you know, just by chance, um, you know, I had an opportunity to talk to a person, to an individual, and, like, she listened, and it really changed my life. And we became, like, really close and best friends, and she was able to help me through and is able to help me through my depression to this day. I always, I always tell her, like, she saved my life. Um, because, you know, if not for that, if not allowing, giving me a space to open up myself, she convinced me to go back to therapy. She helped me make the decision to go on um, anti-depression med- medication, um, antidepressants. Um, unfortunately, we were at a meeting, um, uh, an SAC meeting, mm. um, which is another student org uh, on campus a few months later. And, you know, oh. we unfortunately saw someone commit suicide. Um, and that really affected me. And again, like that person was there for me and, and able to help me process that and I, to help me process. And, and I was there to help her process that. But um, I think that was also a real trigger for me. Because I heard about that uh-huh. point from one of my friends in SAC. Yeah. And she was like, everyone was incredibly jolted. Like, jolted. It was right Yeah, everyone was quiet. Uh, uh, Don Senta, who works at the Alumni Association, he was actually talking to us and he was facing us so he didn't see anything. And it happened and we were all kind of like, what just happened? And Don was like, what happened? And he turned around and and saw and um, I just, I I, I turned to to Sachin, who was one of my friends, and I I was like, because at that point they had known like where I was and you know how I had been depressed because that was months later. And I was like, I need to leave. And I remember I left. I went upstairs. SAC, like the student org, has an office, like our own office. I went to the office, didn't even turn the lights on, sat on the couch and just cried. My birthday was actually the next day, um, and not that's not really significant. But I no. ended up be getting drunk the next day, which is significant. Um, uh. And uh, I remember I, I, I that night I, I called the person who I was talking about earlier, who was there for me, and I sort of then just told her everything that like where I was on the day I wanted to commit suicide. I remember distinctly saying. I wish I got the chance to talk to him and to tell him that he is loved. Um, you know, honestly, backing up, sorry, backing up to the to the summer before um, I fell back into depression. Um, my brother and his really good friend and also my really good friend were visiting me and we were walking back. I was just giving them a tour of the campus because um, they were in high school at the time um, and they were choosing what schools to go to. Um, neither of them came here. Um, we were coming back, and as we were walking back, we saw a crowd. And what we saw was a girl standing on top of the uh, Lane Avenue garage. Um, and fortunately, she ended up not committing suicide. She, you know, she was talked down. Um, but I remember, like, we, along with some other people, were holding up signs, like saying, "You are loved." and all this stuff. Uh, I remember afterwards, uh, my, my brother, my well, my brother actually had to walk away and then he finally came back and tried to help us, yeah. to, you know, get her down. Um, but I think that's probably where the ideation started for me, where I put the two and two together and subconsciously later, I thought I can go to the garage to commit suicide because that probably was not something that I had thought of before. Um, but yeah, I remember like my friend and I, it was just a really weird day. Like I remember us bringing water to like the first responders and sort of talking to them about the situation. And yeah. um, it was, I mean, that was tough. Uh, I remember very clearly at one point, she, uh, the girl who, who was there was, took off one of her hair ties and like let it drop down. Um, and I was like, oh my God, she's going to do this. Um so, I mean, it was, it was scary. And I think the problem is, um, is now I don't know where she is. I don't know how she's doing. And like, maybe I was there in that moment. You know, I remember the lantern was interviewing other people who were holding up signs and like people were taking videos and it was just kind of like, 
in glory. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly, point, yeah. exactly. So, you know, I just, honestly, I wish I or someone could talk to, obviously, everyone who's going through a similar situation, which I think this podcast is a great platform if someone is in a yeah. similar situation um, to get through. And, like, hopefully, um, if you are in a similar situation, like, you, you know, um, you're able to get through this podcast. I know this could be very triggering for someone listening to my experience, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope, you know, we can get, they can get through this discussion and sort of learn how I was able to, to get better. So you went to therapy. Yep. And do you think it was anything in therapy or also the antidepressants that helped you? I think the antidepressants really helped me. And for some reason, I was very much against medication the first time. I was like, I just want to do therapy. If I need to get on the antidepressants, if I don't get better, I will. But um, because I was so low, um, I, I felt I made the decision with the help of my friends and, and my doctor that that was something I wanted to do. And honestly, immediately, it, it, uh, it improved for me. Really? I was not, well, not immediately. It takes like four to six weeks for it to, yeah. to, to, to get into your system. <laughs> but at that point, it started to get better for me. Yeah. And um, it was just my lows weren't as low as they used to be. I was still sad. Like, I would still get depressed. And sometimes I would need a day to myself. I didn't want to get out of bed. But I wasn't spiraling as much. Um, I wasn't getting to that low, that really low point where I felt like, life wasn't worth living. Um, that, along with therapy, I don't think antidepressants are um, effective, at least long-term, without good therapy, and I'm still going to therapy, um, help me sort of improve. And this time around, my therapist is more of, she's a, more of a resource for me um, in that like I can talk to her about my issues, and I can sort of just process through them, rather than me trying to find concrete solutions to every single issue that I have. Just having that person that you can talk to, no judgment, you know, you get an hour to just talk is was huge for me. And obviously there are tips and tricks that I learned. Something that actually had really helped me was breathing exercises. Like it, they really calm me down. Um, like doing some quiet meditation and breathing. Um, something I remember is like making your body really tense and then releasing all of that. And that really helped me calm calm me down that may not work for everyone but even if you're having a stressful time like I would encourage um doing those things um yeah. and you know I, I used to be such a skeptic when I came to like I'm still skeptic about a lot of things um I am a I'm, I would consider myself an atheist in that you know I don't I sort of reject like God claims so I don't think there's enough evidence to believe in one God and I think that probably I don't want to get too far down that rabbit hole but I think <laughs> I think that sort of existential view also um, you know led to my depression um, and you know that there's no one looking that, out for you yeah so I mean I think atheists I can't remember if this is I don't I don't remember the exact numbers so you know obviously correct among you or anyone correct me if I'm wrong but uh, but I think atheists do tend to be a bit more depressed um, just like no, just yeah. believing that I get I have one chance at, at this life and all those things um, yeah. honestly that probably also helped me not c commit suicide That's knowing true, yeah. uh, knowing I had one chance and that I needed to make the most of it but I think that my belief or my lack of belief actually um, you know made me because I don't actively disbelieve in a god but I just yeah. it's not something I think about I just you know don't believe it. No, it makes sense. I think for me, like, my first bout of depression made me an atheist. And that's not to say, like, religion is bad. No, for I sure. Know that, I know the, uh, the the value of religion, especially my friend's life. My friend is a son of a priest. Like, it, mm -hmm. it happens. Um, but I think, yeah, just for me, like, I used to be religious up until, like, when I had my first bout of depression and I just gave it up and it's yeah. been, like, six years since. And I just, yeah, no, it's, 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 it's interesting. And I, I think... The, those experiences for me, they never made me want to turn to God or to a higher power. For me, um, for some people, it, it it's immensely fulfilling for them and in their lives and yeah. um, is enriching. Um, for me, it's more about like truth and, and whether it's out there or not. And I just haven't been convinced. And obviously, along with that comes you know, not believing in the afterlife, when a relative passes away, you know, that's it. You know, I'm yeah. not going to be able to see them again. Um, 
but yeah, you know, I can I can completely understand where you're coming from, where, you know, you're in that place and you're kind of like, what God would do this to me? Mm-hmm. What God would create suffering in the world um, beyond even yourself? Uh, yeah. So those drugs, those therapy, like the tense exercises, the breathing exercises, and now till today, Mm -hmm. has it been relatively progressing? I know you said you have chronic depression, but... Yeah, uh, I think, well, absolutely. So for one, um, I have not been suicidal um, really since then. Or, you know, I've had ideation since then, but that was mostly close to that point. And then seeing someone commit suicide definitely added to that ideation. Um, but, um, you know, aside from that, yeah, I, I haven't, I've been progressing, um, the problems that I talk to talk about with my therapist are much more benign than they were a year ago. Um, I'm, I'm much more content with, with my life and my job day to day. Um, I, I'm just more content. That being said, I think there is sort of the still underlying depression that, um, I'm still trying to get over. But it's not as debilitating as it used to be, like where I couldn't leave bed or um, where I felt like life was pointless or futile or any of that stuff. Yeah. If there was someone who was going through what you were going through, Mm -hmm. what would you tell them? And also if there was someone who wasn't going through you, like who doesn't understand what you're going through or might have a loved one who's going through something similar, what would you tell them? Yeah, so for the first part of that question is... I know it's a cliche, and I know it's used all the time, but, I mean, it does and it can get better. Um, but you you do need to take steps to help yourself get better. Um, I'm sure, like, depression can miraculously disappear, yeah. but there are so many resources at your disposal, whether it be... Um, you know, if you're in school, going to your your, your college's therapist, um, whether it be like meditation or, or reading or finding something that sort of gets you out of that rut, finding your passion, um, which I know works for a lot of people. Like me starting my soccer podcast really helped me get out of depression the first time. Yeah. Um, and, um, you know, unfortunately, therapy is expensive and not all insurance covers it. Not everyone has insurance, so it's not... Uh, available for everyone. Yeah. Um, so if it if that is something that is available to you, same thing with with medication. That's not realistic for everyone. Um, if if those things are available to you, I would seriously consider exploring those options. If they are not, um, you know, wherever you are, I would try to see if there are any types of free clinics. You know, some um, organizations do like group clinics or group therapy. Um, I'm sure there are free psychological I actually was talking I can't remember but what the exact name of it was but I'm pretty sure there is one in Columbus that they do free consultations um, but uh, you know if I were to talk to myself I think the number the first step is recognizing it so you can come to terms with it so you can eventually improve because if you don't come to terms with it if you don't recognize it and you're just allowing yourself to be in that depressed state, it's going to be very hard for you to get out of it. Um, so seek ways um, to become better. Try to find someone like I found with, with my really, with my, who ended up being my best friend, where yeah. uh, find that person who's willing to listen to you and um, to understand you and love you like unconditionally. Something else I would tell myself or someone in my situation is you are not a burden. You will think, you will feel like you are a burden. You will think you're a burden. You are not a burden on your, on your loved ones. Talk to them be honest with them, tell them what's going on, and they will, they will help you. Um, They will, they will help you get through it. Um, And like, that's something I always felt like a burden. It's probably why I didn't share enough, um, because I was sort of hyper aware or hyper conscious, not aware, hyper conscious of of, of being a burden on on, on those around me. So they won't care. Right. And I think for the second part of your question, um, don't, if someone is coming to you in a situation um, where they're opening up to you and telling you that they're depressed, listen. Don't try to fix it right away. Don't tell them, well, at least you're not, you know, starving or something like that. Yeah. Like, that that doesn't help. Um, believe them. Show them they're loved. Listen to them. Also, another thing that really bugs me that I see often is people, if someone is talking about their own mental illness, um, and they go to someone and, and then 
the person they're talking to starts talking or equating or comparing to their own mental illness or to someone else's mental illness. And, um, you know, while you should have a platform to share and talk and maybe the person who's coming to you is that person at that moment in time, you should just, you should be there for them and you should be there to listen. Um, and you know, if you, you know, everyone always says, if you even see signs of someone that you might think is depressed or sad, even if you don't know them, reach or don't know them well, reach out, ask them if they're doing okay. Um, you know, we all are very busy people and we get so caught up on our lives and we might not even think, you know, more than, oh, that person looks sad or that person's being kind of weird and we'll just move on with our day. Reach out because you can really make a difference. And, you know, I've, I've heard, I'm sure you've heard many inspiring stories about just random encounters that have prevented people yeah. from committing suicide. Yeah. Uh, you also said you wanted to talk about the stigma and mental health. Yeah. Uh, of course, it's a huge one, but what was the yeah. particular thing you had an issue with? Yeah, so um, uh, I mentioned before that I wrote a paper about Landon Donovan, um, and I actually had the opportunity to speak to him, and, and one of the things that I spoke to him about was mental illness, and it was just a really great conversation about the stigma, and um, for, for people in high-profile positions or people who seem extremely privileged, like they have the life, um, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around them being depressed. So like Robin Williams being depressed and committing suicide. People are always like, oh, he always seems so happy. Um, He has so much money. We all know that that's not, you know, that's not something that really determines depression. Um, A lot of people are struggling daily with financial stress and, um, you know, even physical stress with with, with their health. And, And those factors lead to depression. And I think we as a society need to do a better job of um, valuing time to ourselves, time to heal. Um, when a loved one dies, time to grieve. You know, take time off. Take three or four days off. Take a week off. Be with your family and really process your emotions. Um, you know, uh, it's... It's like what you say. We don't change the mind like our body. If, if right. someone tore their ACL, we'd be like, stop walking. Yeah, if someone exactly. tells me we have depression, they tell us, oh, okay, just yeah, get over it. Exactly. Like, Exactly, exactly. And, and you know, we're seeing now that depression um, is at least being diagnosed so much more than it used to be. You know, maybe people have always had depression. Maybe it's a part of the human condition, you know. But I think there is, there is something um, unique about our culture in particular that sort of lends itself to depression. That yeah. I, I think it's really hard for us to be happy and to be content. Um, make sure you are taking time for yourself. If you're in a management position or in a leadership position and someone comes to you, or if you're a teacher or a professor and someone comes to you and they like they need help or they need time for themselves to, to get better, to heal, understand and allow it. Mm-hmm. Um, because ultimately, you know, a depressed person that's just coming there and being there because they have to be there is not going to be nearly as productive as someone who is mentally healthy um, and and there and up there. The other thing I want to talk about was how depression and mental illness has, especially on Twitter, sort of become a meme. Um, Or it's, you know, I think it's great to have people to know that you're not alone, that other people are going through things that are similar. But I do think people who sometimes are trying to be funny sort of co-opt depression. They co-opt sadness and turn it into um, depression and sort of make jokes about it, which um, I think people just need to be really mindful of of how that could impact someone. Was there a specific example? uh, I think it's just something that I constantly notice. Um, You know, and I can't speak to anyone else's experience. And if they're going through depression and that's therapeutic for them, that's great. Like, if tweeting out your feelings is therapeutic to you, some people it's journaling um, or writing, that's great. But, um, you know, I think it's just, it's extremely important to be mindful about if you have a platform, make sure you're using that platform in a way that's constructive, um, you know, to sort of end that stigma. and the other thing is, I think, you know, a, a, a common trope that we hear or we see is that a lot of violence is being attributed to mental illness. Yeah. Um, and that may be true, um, but I think mental illness, 
depression is a little bit different, but mental illness has sort of become like a dirty word, um, especially when we're talking about like shooters or, or something yeah. like that. Um, whereas mental illness is not, it, it's such a general term for so many different things. So, something I hear a lot is, you know, instead of, instead of background checks for guns, we need like to do better with mental health. And, but I mean, we do need to do better with mental yeah. health, but what does that mean? Like, well, you know, how, how are we going to be at a place in society where, um, we can help people who have, um, issues with their, with their mental health, um, without alienating them, without making them feel like they're less than. All this talk about mental health. It's just, you know, it's so broken, especially considering, not even just institutionalized, just like how a society just treats it. We're still mm-hmm. working towards it, and it's going to take a couple more generations for us to really accept that mental health is the same as physical health, mm-hmm. which is a slow process and a little bit frustrating. Um, but that that may be true. Yeah, see how that may be true. Um, I hope it's not true, but mm. I think the onus is on us as a generation of young people, um, people like you who are giving pl- a platform to someone like me to share their experience and to to talk about um, to talk about their experience, but also to talk about solutions. How how do we Im- improve the lives of people? How you know we're at Ohio State. How can how can we as you yourself as a student, me as an employee of the university, how how do we improve the lives of our students, of our other employees? You know, at, at OSUAA, I I don't know if I can get in trouble for this, but um, <laughs> and you know we did a an employee engage employee engagement survey, and basically um, the first time they did it, the results were pretty bad. People you know, were sort of disenchanted, disenchanted with their jobs and they were not, you know, liking it. They felt depressed and um, that started to improve. But so often we get so caught up in our daily routine in the tasks we need to get done. Am I or are these people well-equipped to put on 20 events in the span of a week? Um, yeah. What is that going to do for their mental health? After, the, after they put on those 20 events, after they do like 80 hours of work one week, are we giving them enough time to recuperate? Are we giving them appropriate vacation time? Um, why are we forcing you know mothers to get back to work as quickly, or and fathers back to work as quickly as possible after their children are born? How is that for their mental health to be away from their from their children um, to be example, to yeah. be to be stressed about work? Um, you know why don't we have paid maternity and paternity leave for um, for our individuals? Um, why are attendance and participation so huge in a class where it doesn't really matter if you participate or if you attend when that could really, you know, hurt someone? Are they creating an environment where, where it's acceptable for a student to sh- not only share their mental illness, but to try to get through it? Um, yeah. So how can we give people the opportunity um, to heal? Um, and, and, you know, obviously I don't have all the solutions and I keep on reiterating that question, but I think it's a really important question to, to think about and to ponder. And especially someone like you and others like you who are going into the healthcare field and who are going to be leaders, um, it's, it's, it's imperative for you guys to be conscious of that. Um, even for yourself, like as a doctor, are you, you know... Physician burnout's a big thing. It's, it's like a huge so thing. Mental health for doctors is also a huge thing. It's, it's a huge thing. And, and, and ultimately, that you're not getting the most effective doctors. Luckily, they've gotten, they've gotten away from 24-hour shifts like they used to. Yeah. Um, but, like, that's just not... I don't, I don't want someone operating on me who hasn't slept in 24 hours. Like, that's the last thing I want. Yeah. I, don't know, I don't know exactly what the solution is, but that's sort of what I wanted to talk about and put that question out there. How, how, how can we improve? Um, as a society in that regard. Well, before I ask my final question, mm-hmm. um, I wanted to ask, is there anything else you wanted to say? Anything else you missed? <laughs> um, I am I am so thankful for the support system that I had um, and I have and for the people who were there for me um, when I needed it most and like Katie, who I was talking about yeah. earlier, like being there for me, that was just huge for my life and um I think something that I am now trying to do is I'm, I'm constantly 
looking, not hoping, because I hope it doesn't happen, but looking for an opportunity to be that person for someone else and to see if I can, you know, help someone else. Um, Tony Tony Dungy, who was a former football coach. Colts. And, yeah. I'm Col- a Colts yep. fan, yeah. Okay, there you go. Dungy. So, yeah, he, he <laughs> led you guys to a Super Bowl. He, yes. he played for the Steelers um, back in the 70s. And um, something, I, re- I read his book about leadership, and um, something that stood out to me in that book was every interaction is a is an opportunity to mentor, um, to mentor someone. You know, leadership is not, you know, there's always, you know, there's so much leadership theory and everyone always talks about the difference between a leader and a manager and how you don't need to be in a position of power to lead. And that's all extremely true. But that quote in, in, in general, um, every opportunity or every interaction is an opportunity to mentor, I think also rings true in a situation like this. Every interaction is an opportunity to to become a friend, to open someone's eyes to your situation, to their situation. So I think for me, I'm trying to, to um, like I said, always looking for those opportunities to, to help. Um, Do you think your experience with the depression has been a little bit more eye-opening to the fact that everyone goes through their own things and the fact that everyone... Yeah, and, and even if not everyone goes through depression, um, you know, every... A lot of people, everyone has things that they do go through. And I think it was more eye-opening to me in the sense, I I said this before, um, uh, that depression can impact anyone, no matter, you know, your privilege, um, your status, you know, how, how well or how, you know, how well you're doing in life. The mental health resources... That is just the surface. The issues are rooted so much deeper. Like I said, we we need to be looking at all aspects of our society and saying, how can we improve this to make people happier? And in turn, that'll help. Um, that'll help mental health. I, I think so. Thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thanks um, for having me on. And I just wanted to uh, close out with one thing, uh, sure. Nihal. Introduce yourself. Tell us who you are. Sure. Um, so I'm going to go back to high school because yeah. um, I I will always be proud of uh, being student council president um, <laughs> and, you know, sort of starting an anti-bullying campaign and improving um, the nutrition at our school. Oh, um, I was also co-president with actually the same person of the Gay Straight Alliance. Um, mm-hmm. So being an ally, something that's really important to me. Uh, in college, um, like I said, I helped um, start Universal Health Aid, which is which is what what you are involved in, and um, SAC, uh, the Student Alumni Council. And um, now I um, work with the Advancement Events team over at the Ohio State Alumni Association. I plan to go back to school at some point. Um, Still undecided where I want to go, but I do want to get into education administration. Um, That's just something that I actually, you know, something that really helped me get out of my depression, something that excited me back in February. Um, when I was sort of when I was getting so much better was going down this new path, switching from sports to education and feeling like I could affect people on a day to day basis mm-hmm. through education policy, through impacting individuals. Um, and that's really why I want to do what I'm doing. So um, it's going to be a long path there, but that's basically um, where I'm going <laughs> with yeah. it. So hopefully I get there and I can affect change. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, right now I'm just. I'm working. And you also have your podcast, right? Um, I have a podcast called The Soccer Brothers Podcast. We're on iTunes um, and um, Podkicker. We're not on Spotify yet, but we're also on SoundCloud, so if you want to follow us there. And um, how many episodes have you released? A lot, right? A lot, yeah. I think we're around 80 now. Wow. Um, so, uh, and actually one of those episodes was uh, interviewing Landon Donovan. So that's where we got, so if you go to, that was episode 60 um, if you follow us at Soccer Bros Pod on Twitter um, and, and on Facebook, we're just Soccer Bros Podcast. You know our uh, our tweet, our pin tweet actually is the Land Donovan episode. And at the very end, the last five ten minutes, is, is us talking about mental health and the stigma. So if that's something you're interested, definitely go do that. Give us a follow. We're in a little bit of a hiatus right now. We're sort of restructuring the way we're going to do the podcast. But yeah, that is something that I I absolutely love doing. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to continue to do. So if you're interested in soccer, give it a listen. If you're not, um, also give it a listen. 
Um, so yeah. All right, sounds that. good. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Nihal. Thanks for having me on. It was a great discussion, Ishan. Don't you look so low because I'm loosening your laces. Thank you so much for listening. If you are or know someone currently going through depression, anxiety, or suicidal ideation, please make sure that they receive the help they need. Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. And despite the lack of resources available, all college campuses have some form of therapy and support. Additionally, if you are interested in sharing your story, please email either Annie Knudsen at knudsen.26 at osu.edu. That's K-N-U-D-S-O-N dot 26 at osu.edu. Or Ishan Rola at rola.3 at osu.edu. That's R-O-L-A dot 3 at osu.edu. We would like to thank our mother organization, Universal Health Aid Columbus an organization dedicated to improving universal health through preventative medicine, health education, leadership de- and leadership development. If you are interested in learning more, go to uhacolumbus.org. That's it for this week. We will see you next week.